if you would, to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2 here in a minute, but... With the onset of Christmas just around the corner, as I was praying this week, I was very clearly directed to this passage, and and um, uh, I, I I trust it'll be a, a blessing to you. Um, but as we approach the what we call the Christmas season, uh, Luke chapter one. And Luke chapter 2 really give us what we call the Christmas story. Um, uh, every year uh, before we do anything uh, at, at our home, uh, we read the Christmas story. Uh, in fact, we, we're going to read it in a, f- in a few minutes. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. We always sit down ahead and we have for for years as a family read that <clears throat> but in verse in chapters 1 and 2 we see the the christmas story develop the angel comes to mary and tells her about this miraculous birth that is about to take place and <clears throat> then we and and i'm i'm giving you the condensed version here okay uh, and then we read about her interaction with elizabeth her cousin who gives birth to or who is, is, is pregnant with uh, uh, and who will later be known as uh, John the Baptist. Uh, and then the taxation of the people by Caesar Augustus, uh, the journey to Bethlehem by Mary and Joseph. Um, uh, they have uh, them uh, having to take uh, shelter in a manger because the, the inn was too full. Um, <clears throat> And then the birth of our Savior and the, the declaration of the shepherds. You know, the, the, the scene where the shepherds are out in the fields and the angels come and, and uh, the angel comes and then a, a multitude of angels come and uh, present the birth of Christ to the shepherds. And, <clears throat> and I don't know about you, but I, I, I think unfortunately most of us get our theology from Christmas cards. And, <laughs> and, you know, we kind of always picture this, this the, the birth of Christ and the, the surrounding scene as this, this peaceful, almost angelic time. And, you know, the world just kind of stops spinning for just a minute and, and, and everything and there's peace on earth, goodwill toward men and, 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 and we just kind of misunderstand what the world was like at that time. The reality is that the world was in great turmoil. Caesar Augustus had ordered a taxing of the known world the Roman, the Roman Empire basically ruled the world at that time. And he had ordered a, a taxing of the people. And, and we, you know, in our, in our country today, we don't really understand the turmoil that that would cause. 
And if you know history, um, Caesar Augustus here, uh, if my memory serves me correct, taxed the world at least three different occasions, which causes great turmoil. And the reason why is because in order to, to tax the world, you have to do a census of the world. So when, the, when it talks about taxation, you can also put a, a little hash mark there and put census right next to it because you paid taxes according to the family you belong to. And in order to understand the turmoil, you have to understand that when Caesar did this, every citizen of Rome had to go back to their family origin. Does that make sense? So everybody, an entire, the entire world was on the move. Now, how many of you like moving? I didn't think so. <clears throat> but this, and, 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 and hey, we have U-Hauls. And we have, you know, we, I mean, that back then they, they piled everything on a camel. And, and they had to, so, so the world was in great turmoil. Caesar had to raise money to support his extensive army. Uh, the, the, the Roman road system was a constant need that, that was a huge burden financially on the Roman Empire. Caesar Augustus was known as the luxurious emperor. So he had to pull in taxes in order to be able to support that lifestyle. And he honestly didn't care about the people. The people of, the, of, of that day, when, when Jesus, the day that Jesus was born, the world was in turmoil. Look at chapter 2 of our passage here <clears throat> in verse 3. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. <clears throat> Can you imagine the chaos that was taking place around the world? It would have been absolute bedlam, total chaos. To say that the world was in turmoil literally would be an understatement. I'm sure that if you could transport yourself back in time and you could be a fly on the wall at most places of gathering, what do you think the majority of the conversation would have been about? The stupid census. I, I mean, that's how we would say it today, right? Yeah. I can't believe we got to do it again. You know, I, I, and can you imagine that that conversation was taking place everywhere because everybody's life was turned upside down every time Caesar said, I need more money. Everyone was focused on what was going on in their lives. 
we look at, we look at our world around us. And we, we think, I've heard it said multiple times, our world is falling apart around us. If you were to, <clears throat> I don't care who you are, but I guarantee you that if you have a conversation with someone for any length of time in our world today, what do you think the conversation would come around to eventually? COVID. Somewhere, somehow, some way, the, the, the conversation of COVID is coming up. Right? I mean, I, I, ha- I meet perfect strangers. And if that conversation carries on for any length of time, eventually we end up talking about it. It is the thing that is consuming our world today. In 1909, or excuse me, 1809, 1809, the international scene was in turmoil at best. Napoleon was sweeping through Austria. Blood was flowing freely. Nobody then cared about the birth of a baby, except obviously the parents of that baby. But the world was overlooking some significant bursts in the year 1809. For example, William Gladstone, who was born that year, was destined to become one of England's finest statesmen. The same year, Alfred Tennyson was born to be a, uh, born to an obscure minister and his wife. The child would one day greatly affect the literary world in a marked manner. On the American continent, Oliver Wendell Holmes was born in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And not far away in Boston, Edgar Allan Poe began his uh, faith, uh, uh, his eventual uh, all but tragic life. It was also in the same year that a physician named Darwin and his wife named their child Charles Roberts. And that same year produced the cries of a newborn infant in a rugged log cabin in Hardin County, Kentucky. That baby's name, Abraham Lincoln. I believe that if there was a news broadcast in 1809, it would have been something like the destiny of the world is being shaped on the battlefields of Austria. But the reality is this. The destiny of the world was being shaped in the cradles of England and the United States. Well, not that it wasn't the United States. Anyway, you know what I mean. Or yeah, I guess it was. Stupid. See, we often 
get so focused on what's going on around us. We forget that the babies that are being born can affect the world. Because they will affect the world. The story we were reading, or we go, that we're going to read, the people then were so focused on the taxation and the, and the census that it was consuming their time and they had no time for a baby born in a manger. But a little Jewish woman cradled the biggest news of all. And hardly anybody knew about it. They were so busy being consumed and complaining about the world around them, they forgot to focus on the Messiah. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we read it earlier. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Let me ask you a question. If you were alive during Luke chapter 1 and 2, what would you have been focused on? I, I, I Honestly, I asked myself the question, and I didn't like what I said. Just being honest. It is so easy to get so consumed with what we experience around us. I don't know if anybody has enjoyed the last couple of years of COVID. I don't know anybody who's enjoyed it. But it is the thing that consumes our conversations. One of the things that I do when I read Scripture is I, 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 I try to find the obscure. Uh, you, you know... Uh, one of, the, one of the problems I have when I read Scripture is, especially on familiar passages, I tend to just kind of read through it and, and not really read it. Y- y'all know what I mean? You know, the Christmas story, I've read it probably hundreds of times in my life. And I, I, I tend to just kind of blow through it and, okay, okay, I'm done. Got it. We're good for another year. I, that, that's just who I am. That's how I am. So what I have to do periodically, I, I stop myself and I say, okay, let, let's, let's, let's do this on purpose. And let's look for some things that are not always as obvious, if you would. Because those are the things oftentimes that God will speak to our hearts about. The Christmas story uh, is one that is very, very familiar to us. Um, uh, the characters, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the list of characters that I came up with. We have Mary, Joseph, obviously the baby Jesus, the, the shepherds, the innkeeper, uh, wise men, 
Gabriel, the angel. Um, actually, we don't know for sure it was Gabriel. We assume it's Gabriel. Anyway, just a little trivia there for you. Um, uh, the uh, Caesar Augustus, uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth, Mary's cousin, um, and obviously John the Baptist. All of these people play an intricate part of the Christmas story. But in our story, there are two people that play a really, really, really important part of what we call the Christmas story that we more often than not overlook. So those are the two people we're going to focus on this morning. Two people that influence Mary and Joseph in in an incredible way. They were just like you and me. They They were not theologians. They were not uh, <clears throat> priests or uh, Sadducees or Pharisees. They were just normal people. But the one thing that they had in common is they were both looking for the Messiah. They were not focused on the taxation and the, and the turmoil in the world. They were focused on one thing, and that was the Messiah. So, before we talk about these two people, let's read Luke chapter 2. Let's start reading in verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenus was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, unto the city of David, which is um, called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. And he went, and uh, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being gray with child. And so it was that while they were uh, there, the days were accomplished as she Uh, should be delivered and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. and there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the fields keeping watch over their flocks by night and lo the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass as the angels uh, were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even to Bethlehem and see this thing which 
is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And they had seen it, excuse me, and when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning the child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and for the miraculous work that you do in our lives. Thank you for the for the, the, the simple fact that you left heaven, came down to earth to be born among sinful men, to pay the price for my sin. I thank you for that. I ask that you would speak to our hearts, that you would encourage us, and that you would help us to be more like you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. This passage of Scripture, Luke chapter 2, verses 1, 1, and two, 1, 1 through 20, is the portion of Scripture that we refer to as the Christmas story. Uh, if you were to, like, like I, I told you earlier, my family and I, before we open presents, before we do just about anything on Christmas morning, we read Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. Why? Because it is it is the the epitome of the Christmas story. It tells every you know not everything, but the the majority of the um, the, the um, you know what I mean. But I want to I want to go a little further. Let's let's read verses twenty one to twenty four. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to, the, uh, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of uh, turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, <clears throat> in verses verse, verses um, 21 to 24, uh, these verses cover uh, two things. It, it, it is, again, it's often overlooked, but it's it covers two things. The... the <clears throat> The law required that a, a male be circumcised on the eighth day. Okay, so it covers the law, but there's also tradition here, and that is the naming of the child. Now, we, we today, mostly because of ultrasounds, <clears throat> have our child's names picked before they're even born. Uh, <clears throat> I... I I know that when my wife and I had our first child, we they they did ultrasounds back then, and they they had done one, but we had chosen not to know what the what the 
the, the gender was. So we had two names picked out so that when Ashley was born, we, I mean, she was named immediately. But we don't know why there was an eight-day la- uh, lag there, but I think it was mainly because of the high infant mortality rate. Uh, you know, it was almost as though, okay, if the baby will live eight days, he's got a whole lot better chance. So that's when we'll name the baby. So that, so anyway, so don't know that, but I kind of, that's kind of how I've always understood it. So you have here the fulfillment of the law, uh, uh, with the, the circumcision and the offering. Uh, the offering here is <clears throat> something, and it's in Le- Leviticus chapter 12, if you're, if you're curious. But we see here an offering of two turtle doves or a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, you, you have to remember the two things here. One is that the offering was not for the baby, but for the purification of the mother. Okay? And it is, a, a, for lack of better term, it is a poor man's offering. Okay? The turtle doves and the pigeons were how the poor people gave offerings. Rich people would use much, uh, you know, sheep and, you know, more expensive animals. So you have, uh, you know, and Joseph and Mary were typical young married people. They don't have any money. So they give they give what they can, and they gave, they gave either a, a pair of turtle doves or a pigeon. So you have something going on here. But I've had people ask me, well, wait, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, what about the gold, frankincense, and myrrh? You know, they would have had access to that. No, not, uh, no. Uh, the gold, they, the... Again, don't get your theology from Christmas cards, okay? Um, the three wise men, for number one, we don't know how many there were. There were probably many wise men, uh, not just three. And they didn't show up until Jesus was about two years old. So <laughs> so don't, don't get your theology from Christmas cards, okay? Just saying. Um, uh, so that so that that that's one thing, um, but a, a little side note here. Um, to our knowledge, Jesus never gave a sacrifice until he gave himself. I, I just I, I ran across that uh, uh, from somewhere. I don't even know where I got that from, but I thought, wow, that is. That is incredible thought. Now, did he give a sacrifice in his life? We don't know. It's never recorded in Scripture until he gives himself as the ultimate sacrifice. The title of my message this morning is Caring About the Birth. Caring About the Birth. The baby Jesus here is about to encounter in the verses following what we just read two quote-unquote chance meetings with two people. Earlier I said that everybody was focused on the stupid census. 
but that's not totally accurate. There are two people that we're going to talk about here that were focused on the Messiah. Two very special people that oftentimes in most people, they don't even recognize them as being part of the Christmas story. The first one is a guy named Simeon. Let's start reading in verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The same man was a devout, excuse me, was just and devout, waiting for the constellation of Israel. If If you mark your Bible, underline that phrase, waiting for the constellation of Israel. What do you think that means? He is waiting for the Messiah. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law. Then took he up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For thine eyes, for, excuse me, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled. See that word marveled? They were were speechless. Now, did they know who Jesus was? Absolutely they, they knew. But they marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rise again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Ye, ye, excuse me, yea, a sword shall pierce through thy soul also. That thou, excuse me, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Can you imagine what was going through their minds? Here they went to the temple to be obedient to God, to fulfill the, the requirements of the law. And this stranger named Simeon walks up to them and takes the baby and starts telling them these things. I, I, I don't know, but I, I think if it had been me, I'd have been just a little freaked out. Here we see a faithful man who knew the Messiah was coming. The Holy Spirit had told him, you will not see death until the birth of the Messiah. Jewish legend says that, that Simeon was 113 years old. Now, again, you've you got to understand the time, the time frame that we're talking here. 
an old person was 50 years old. And he was a hot, you know, again, this is Jewish tradition, but, you know, he, he was an old guy. But he was waiting for the Messiah. God promised that he would see the Messiah before he died. What, a, what an incredible thought. Those of you that remember Rose Marie, she used to sit over here and, and critique all my sermons. Um, she was, uh, she died. She was, I think, 92, I think when she died. Um, and I used to think, I don't know. I just, I used to think, I think God's preserving her because she only had one lung and, and she, her health was not that good, but you know, she just kept hanging on. And I kept thinking, wow, she, this is another Simeon, you know, <laughs> you know, maybe God, you know, but then the Lord took her home, but you know. But I find it interesting what Simeon says. He does not say, as he's holding the baby Jesus, he does not say, this is the Messiah. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say that this is the best man that will ever walk the face of this earth. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say that this is the this is the birth of the child that I have long been longing to see. He doesn't say that. But what does he say? <clears throat> he says I lost it here. Hold on. Verse 30. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation. In that statement he encapsulates the Christmas story. Because Jesus did not come to live. As we sang at the beginning of the service, he was born to die. Think about that. Simeon's statement here, is profound. Luke chapter 2, verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. I came across this quote. I don't know who, I don't know the origin of it. I just, I love this quote. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness, so God sent us a Savior. He didn't send us a babe in a manger. He sent us a Savior. Verse 32 of our passage. Let's read it again. And a light unto the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. 
confirms what Jesus said about himself in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. What was the purpose of his coming? It is, it is, it's right here. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. He did not come to be born so that everybody feels sorry for him that he was born in a manger. And he did not come to this earth to walk this earth to be a good man. He came to be a Savior. And Simeon understood that. But Simeon looks at Mary and look at, look at verses 34 and 35. And he says this to, to Mary, so profound. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary, you notice he did not say this to them. He blessed them. Then he looked at Mary. And he said unto Mary, his mother, behold, this child is set for the fall and the rise against again of many in Israel for a sign which shall be spoken again. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul. Whose soul is he talking about? Mary's soul. That's an incredible statement. That the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Simeon looks at Mary. And, and we've talked about this in the past. Mary went through incredible humiliation when she became pregnant and not, and not being married. Great humiliation. Great shame was brought upon the family. And what Simeon is saying here in a nutshell, he's saying, Mary, you have paid a tremendous price to bring the Savior into the world, but, but rest assured it's only going to get worse. Think of the cross. Think of the cross as Jesus, as Jesus hung on the cross and he said, it is finished. And he passes in into eternity, humanly speaking. And he dies. And Mary standing there looking up at her son. I can't help but think if the words of Simeon came rushing back to her at that moment. A sword shall pierce thy side. I don't know. We don't know. But I can't help but wonder if the words of Simeon played around and around in her mind as Jesus hung on the cross that day. Jesus was born to die. The second person I want to talk about here, let's continue reading in verse 36. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of uh, Phanael of the tribe of Aser. She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years. 
That's 84 years she was a widow, by the way. So she was married for seven. She was a widow for 84. So you do the math. She was well over 100 as well. Okay, just saying. Uh, Which departed not from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayer night and day. (coughs) Excuse me. And she came in. Uh, the instant, uh, excuse me, in that instant, gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake unto him, to all them, excuse me, and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in in Jerusalem. And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city, <clears throat> Nazareth. And the child grew and waxed strong in, in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Here we see a lady named Anna. Now, <clears throat> Anna, we, we, we don't know a lot about her. We, we, we know more about Simeon than we do Anna, but Anna... Some of the things that we do know is the fact that she was well, probably well over a hundred herself. And she was a prophetess, but we also know she was a widow. Now, I spoke earlier about the infant mortality rate in that day. It It was incredibly high. But do you know what the fatality rate of women in the Middle East is even today. It's incredibly high. Because everything revolved then and now in the Middle East around the husband. So if the husband died, a woman was literally left with nothing. Anna had nothing. And the fact that she was able to survive for 84 years as a widow is a phenomenal thing. It's beyond, it's miraculous. Most widows in the Middle East, even today, most don't even survive a year. Because they have nothing. They have no shelter. They have nothing. They can't go get a job. They, they, they have nothing unless they can remarry. And by the in, indication of our story here, she never remarried. But like Simeon, she was a student of the scriptures. And she knew that the Messiah was coming. And it was not by accident that she just happened to be at the temple that day. But I like what she does. She does the very same thing that the shepherds did. She praised God, then she went out and told everybody else about it. She didn't just, oh, you know, praise God, get all excited, and then go home. What did she do? She went on the city, she told it, she started telling everybody she could about it. 
she knew immediately that the baby was the Messiah. Let me let me kind of close close up here. My my point is this: these two people, Simeon and Anna, two very different people, but they were just common people. You know, we tend to <clears throat> take the list that I read earlier of the people that are commonly known as the uh, uh, participants in the Christmas story, and we we tend to put them on a pedestal, Mary and Joseph, and 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 those kind of people, and we think, you know, man, I could never attain to that, you know, Elizabeth and 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 all that, and you know, uh, there's no way I could ever be, I could, no, I can't do that. But the reality is this, you could be a Simeon or an Anna. They were just common people that loved this book, that loved God. Two people that were not distracted by the craziness going on around them at the time. They were focused on the promises of God. God used two very ordinary people to round out the Christmas story. And I believe the purpose of that, this is just me, I believe the purpose of that is to to reaffirm to us that God wants to use all of us. All we need to do is be willing to be used. Let me ask you, What are you focused on this Christmas season? Are you focused on the craziness of of our world right now? Or are you focused on the birth of a Savior? I want to challenge you with a thought. As, as, As we gather with people this season, co-workers, friends, neighbors, you you name it, instead of allowing the conversation to get around to COVID-19 or to the economy or whatever is your, your hot button. Let's bring the conversation around to the babe that was born to save the world. Let's force the conversation. Let's make the conversation about Jesus Christ instead of the things that are consuming our world. Like Simeon said in Luke chapter 2, verse 29, For mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Jesus himself said in Luke 19, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. What are you focused on this morning? See, that's what it's really, that's kind of the whole point here, I think. We can get so distracted with the holiday of Christmas and the giving and and going to this Christmas party and that Christmas party and this event and that event and, oh, I got to shop for so-and-so and, oh, you know, and we can get so consumed with all of that stuff that we forget to worship the Savior of the world.
Let's not do that this year. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and thank you for the examples of Simeon and, and Anna. What, what a blessing they have been to my life many, many times over the years. And Lord, as we bring our service to an end, I ask that you would speak to our hearts, that you would challenge our thinking and, and Lord, help us adjust our focus this, this Christmas season. Help us, dear God, to be focused on the things that matter. With every head bowed and every